Revelation chapter 21. Last week we preached, uh, or I preached a message that um, um, I wasn't really excited to preach. Um, I don't know, it's hard to get excited about preaching about a place called hell. I, I believe that it's real. I believe that scripture teaches about it. I, I believe that, um, that people go there if they're lost. Um, I believe it's eternal. I believe it's terrible. And I'm so thankful that my eternity is going to be spent elsewhere. So I wasn't really excited to preach last week about the message that God laid on my heart. But this week, I'm excited. Um, I'm telling you what. If a preacher doesn't get excited about preaching about heaven, I'm not quite sure he should be a preacher. Um, because in this life we have troubles, we have hardships, we have pains, we have sufferings, we have difficulties. Um, some are just from our life because we live a physical life in a fallen world and so we face sicknesses and pains and sufferings that just come with life but as a Christian we also face trouble and trials and pain and suffering that come from simply being a follower of Christ but one day one day that's all going to be over and if you can't get excited about that, I really don't know what will excite you. As my old pastor friend used to say, if the thought of heaven doesn't get you excited and on fire, then your wood's wet. And so this morning, we're going to look at a message about the place of heaven, this wonderful place. And and every time I think about heaven, I, I don't know if it's because I married uh, a music minister's uh, daughter, um, and therefore, and I did music ministry, but there was a song that came out uh, for children back in the 50s. It is still being used today, and it's called Heaven is a Wonderful Place. You don't know the song I'm talking about? Do I need to sing it? Heaven is a wonderful place filled with glory and grace. I want to see my Savior's face because heaven is a wonderful place. I want to go there. Now, if you've never heard it, now you've heard it. Okay, so that, that was a, a children's song. And so every time I think about heaven, I, I think about that song, and I think about what it says about being a place of beauty and grace and, and mercy and, and how I want to go there. And, and so this morning... I want to give us the reason why that song was written and, and why heaven is a place that, as a believer, we should long for and, and should look forward to, but also understanding uh, an understanding of it that would lead us to wanting others to have that same experience when they enter into eternity. And to do that, we're going to look at several scriptures found in the book of Revelation starting in, in verse 1 of chapter 21, and we're going to look at several things. So if you have your word this morning, I'm going to ask if you would stand with me for the reading of God's word in Revelation chapter 21. We're going to read verses 1 through 4, and then we're going to skip down and read some more verses later on in the chapter. So in Revelation chapter 21, verse 1, <clears throat> the word of God says this, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. 
I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the, older, or so for the old order of things has passed away. Now flip over and look at starting in verse 10. It says in verse 10, And he carried me away in spirit to a mountain great and high, and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and with twelve angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city was laid out like a square as long as it is wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia. That is, if your Bible doesn't translate that for you, that's about 1,400 miles, okay? And he, uh, 1,400 miles in length and as wide and high as it is long. He measured its wall, and it was 144 cubits high. Um, that's about 200 feet high by man's measurement, which the angel was uh, using. The wall was made of jasper in the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the uh, sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophrase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. Now look down at verse 27. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Let's pray. God, today I pray that you'd bless the reading of your word, and now as we begin to examine it this morning, I pray that I would decrease and that your spirit living in me would increase and that the words would be shared would be yours and not mine. Father, that they would uh, find the place you have for them in our hearts and our lives today, and we would respond accordingly to the way your spirit leads us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <coughs> Well, there's three things, three or four things about heaven that I want to point out to you this morning about this, this wonderful place called heaven that, that is uh, wonderful, and these things show us why it's so wonderful. The first thing that I want us to see is that heaven is a wonderful place because it's a perfect place. Heaven is a perfect place. Now, the way this plays out in the book of Revelation is there, there are about five things that, that show the perfection of heaven. Okay, number one, uh, it offers, heaven it has, is a place of perfect rest. If you go to Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, the Word of God says it like this. And they will be His people, and God will be with them and be their God. And listen, in verse 4, 
He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. So the first thing that he says is that this place of heaven, there'll be no more death. Now, the Greek word for death there literally means the loss of life, but it means more than just physical death. The actual word there, it's talking about the loss of physical life, but it also encompasses the misery of the soul that arises from sin, which begins on earth, but lasts and increases after death into the place called hell, the miserable state of the wicked dead. There'll be no more of that. No more death where our physical body shuts down, but there'll also be no more fear of being separated from God or from having to go through enduring the, the aspects of hell that, that exist for those that aren't in Christ. And so this place is a place of no more death. He says it's a place of no more sorrow. Now, the word there for sorrow literally means mourning, and it, and it means to suffer sadly. Now, in this life, there are a lot of reasons why we suffer sadly. Sometimes we suffer sadly because we lose someone we love. Sometimes we suffer sadly because we stand for righteousness and the world rejects it. And therefore, we end up suffering for that. The, the point is, there will be a day when that sorrow, that mourning where we, we sorrow sadly will be done away with there'll be no more mourning no more sorrow then he says there's a it's a place of no more crying now that word crying it means to cry out to to clamor but but it comes from the root word that means to cry out for vengeance and, and so i think it has a dual meaning i think that it means that there will be a time in heaven when we will no longer shed any tears for any reason whether or not they're because we hurt from physical pain or whether or not we hurt from, from losing something that we love or whether or not we hurt uh, because we suffer for Christ or whether or not it's because we've been pained for serving Jesus and we cry out for vengeance no more. See, if you look in the book of Revelation, there are several times when the people who serve God are being being slaughtered they're being martyred and earlier in the book of revelation that says the souls of those who are martyred are actually underneath the altar in heaven and they're crying out for vengeance they're basically saying god is now the time is now the time where you are going to vindicate us and our sufferings that we suffered for you and and god would always say and when he answered them, he'd say, now's not the time for the full number of your brothers has not come in. And what he's saying is there's still going to be more to be martyred. There's still going to be Christians who are standing for their faith that are going to be killed for their faith in Christ. But, and, and they do. They cry out for vengeance. They cry out for, for when are you going to vindicate us for, for not for ourselves, but because we serve you and they murdered us for your sake. When are you going to vindicate yourself? When are we, we going to see that? And that's not going to happen any longer either. You know, there are times on this earth where we almost want to pray, God, get them. Right? If you've never prayed that, you're better than me. Because there's been some times where I've just said, okay, God, I can't handle them. You take care of them. It's crying out for, for God to take vindication for you or, or to, 
to, um, to take care of that. And that's the word for crying here. There'll be no more of that. Whether or not it's crying from hurt or crying from suffering for Christ, all of our crying will end in this place. In verse 4, he also says it's a place of no more pain. Now, the word used to describe pain is the word that, that comes from, it means pain that comes from suffering and from toiling and working. So there, heaven is a place where one of these days where we are going to feel no more pain from suffering, sicknesses, illnesses, ailments, or, or pain that comes from being tormented because you serve Christ. That'll be gone. But it also means that it, it, it's a word used to describe pain that comes from toiling and working. And that's going to be gone too. Um, being a believer is not easy in a culture that increasingly rejects the gospel. Being a minister of that gospel is not any easier than being just a regular believer. I, I've had... Um, People get into the ministry that I know, maybe it's happened to me, I'm not going to ask you, so don't answer this question, but I've had people get into the ministry that in their first three to five years, people would look at them and say, you've aged ten years and three. From working, from striving, from toiling for the Lord. That pain that comes from toiling and striving for the Lord will be done. It'll be gone. So I don't know any other word really to use other than it's a place of perfect rest. No more death. We don't have to fear that. We, we are resting in peace. No more sorrow. No more crying. No more pain. Revelation chapter 14 verse 13 tells us that heaven is a place of rest for those who have labored for the Lord. It's a place where we go and rest. If you were in our Sunday night Bible study last week, Hebrews chapter 4, the majority of that chapter is talking about the two different rests that we have as Christians. One is the rest of victory that we have now. We get to walk in victory today, but it ultimately leads to the Sabbath rest that we have in God. One of these days, our work will be done. Everything that we do for the Lord will be completed, and we enter into this permanent place of rest. That's Hebrews chapter 4. So heaven is a perfect place because it has a perfect rest. But not only does it have a perfect rest, heaven is a place of perfect beauty. It's a place of perfect beauty. Now you've got to understand, <coughs> I'm not going to say that the writer of Revelation, which is John, isn't writing the, the, the most, the, the, I'm not going to say that he's not writing an accurate description of heaven. What I am going to say is he's writing about things that he's seeing, and he only has the world around him to describe it. So I'm not going to say that it's not literally precious stones, that it's not literally gold, but it's beyond anything he can imagine, and he's correlating it with the most precious things this earth has to offer. Either way, it's a place of immense beauty. Well, what makes it so beautiful? Well, in Revelation chapter 21, starting in verses 10 all the way through verse 23, we find that it's a city made of pure gold. That, that right there is beautiful. I mean, it's a different kind of gold. I mean, I have a gold ring. It's not full of that much gold because Jen and I didn't have much money when we got married. But 
But you can't put a price on love, right? That's the way we feel about it. And I have a gold ring, and it's a, it's a beautiful gold ring, but the gold that's described in Revelation is gold so pure that it's transparent like glass. I don't, I don't think I've ever seen gold like that. But that's the way it's described. So it's a city of gold. It's, it's, a, it's in Revelation 21, 18, we're told that its walls are made of jasper, a precious stone. Remember how long those walls were. 140, basically, not 100, 1,400 miles. And it's laid out like a square, so that's 1,400 miles this way, that way, and back together. And the whole wall is made of jasper. Beautiful. It has 12 layers of foundation stones, which are all precious gems. I read those to you. Jasper, sapphire, emerald, sardonyx, amethyst, jacinth, topaz, beryl. And I mentioned the others. That there, it's, it's a city that has 12 layers of foundation stones, all precious gems that we have. It has 12 gates, three on each side. Three on each side that are made of a single pearl. I'm pretty sure nobody has seen a pearl big enough to make a single gate from. Not one that will stretch 200 feet high if the gate goes all the way to the top. And even if it doesn't, it's got to stretch about 10 to 12 feet high by about 10 feet wide. That's a big pearl. And there's 12 of them. And, and it, it says in verse 21 that the great street of the city is made of gold. That's, that's a trivia question I ask kids every year at children's camp. How many streets in heaven are made of gold? And almost everyone says, all of them. That's actually not what Scripture says. Scripture does not say that heaven has streets of gold. And if you look at verse 21, it's very specific. The great street or the main street of the city is pure gold. Just That's just for your gee whiz knowledge right there. But a beautiful street, I mean, just think about this. One of the most precious stones we have, gold, is used to walk on in the street in heaven. It's a place of beauty that we can't really imagine because there's no way we could put it together on a computer program, and that's about the only way we could see it. There's no way we could create a place like this. Scripture tells us that it's a place of great beauty that never wears out. What a country. I mean, can you imagine the, the beauty there is to behold in this place, the physical beauty of heaven? No wonder we sing songs like, I want to go there. When the world is called up yonder, I'll be there. I want to see this. It's a beautiful place. <coughs> but how could such a place ever exist? Well, it exists because Scripture tells us that it is not made with human hands. It's beautiful beyond really description because no human could make this. Only God could make this. And Brother Chuck was right this morning when he prayed that prayer. He's still working on it. Six days he did creation, then he rested. Jesus said in John 14, chapter 1, uh, or chapter 14, verses 1 through 6, he tells his disciples, don't be afraid. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. 
that if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. John 14, 1 through 3. It's a beautiful place that Christ is still working on. It's a place of perfect beauty, made not with human hands, but by the hand of God himself. But not only is it a place of perfect rest and perfect beauty, it's a place of perfect purity and holiness. If you look in Revelation chapter 21, verse 27, it says that heaven is a place of no sin. Look at it very quickly in verse chapter 21, verse 7, or 27. It says, Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful. Nothing impure will ever into it. It is a place completely void of impurity, completely void of sin and shame and iniquity, completely void of all those things. Thus, it is a place of pureness and holiness. It's a place without sin, and therefore, it is completely without sin's consequences. And make no mistake, sin has more consequences than just death. That's the ultimate consequence, but sin has a lot of other consequences too. Sin brings shame, brings suffering, brings condemnation, brings embarrassment. All the things that sin brings to us, we will never experience again because sin is not allowed in the gates. It's a place of perfect purity, and holiness. It's a place of perfect satisfaction. Now, it's not in Revelation 21. It's actually back in Revelation chapter 7. But last week, if you'll remember, we talked about in hell that one of the, one of the many characteristics of the physical reality of hell is it's a place of immense thirst. But in Revelation chapter 7, verse 16, we're told that we would never again hunger or never again thirst ever again. And the idea of hunger and thirst has everything to do with satisfaction, being satisfied. We will never go without. We will ever and always be completely and totally satisfied there. It's a place of perfect satisfaction. You see, we live in an earth that offers temporary satisfaction. We get a cup of water to quench a thirst. Thirst returns. We drink more water. Thirst returns. We get hungry. We eat. But eventually, hunger returns, right? So we have limited satisfaction. Heaven is a place of permanent, perfect satisfaction that will never go away. What an incredible place. And then fifthly, Heaven is a place of perfect worship. In Revelation chapter 5, starting in verse 9 through 13, you'll hear a song. And the song is being sang by the redeemed that are standing before the throne of God. And, and, and their song consists of three basic praises that you and I are going to do. Number one, they are going to worship, we are going to worship Christ for his sacrifice on the cross. Why? Because if it wasn't for his sacrifice on the cross, this place of immense, of, of perfect peace, this place 
of perfect rest, of perfect beauty, of perfect purity and perfect holiness, of being perfectly satisfied, that place would be out of our reach without Jesus. John 14, 6, right after he tells his disciples he's going to prepare a place for them, Thomas comes back and says, where's this place at? Because Jesus told them they know where it was at. He says, well, how can we know? And Jesus answered him very simply, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This place of perfection that I've been talking about is completely out of our reach without Jesus. And so we're going to spend an eternity praising him for his sacrifice that enabled us to be there. Secondly, we, their song included worshiping Christ for his universal salvation. Now, I preached this one time, this, this universal salvation, and somebody misunderstood what I was saying. And they, they, they thought I was preaching that everyone's going to be saved. That's not universal salvation. That's called universalism, and that they're completely different. Universal salvation is described in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, when it says people from every tribe and nation and tongue will be there. The idea is that, that Christ, no one, let me rephrase that, no one is beyond Christ's reach. He saves people from every tribe and language and race and nation. There's no prejudice or discrimination with Christ. There are no favorites. There's no partiality. He loves every person, male, female, poor, rich, black, white, yellow, red, ignorant, wise. We sing that song, you know, every person is precious in his sight, red and yellow, black and white. They're precious in his sight. That's what I mean by universal salvation, not that everyone's going to be saved but that he is going to save people from every part of the world. That's what is talked about, and that's worthy of praise because we have a God who doesn't have a prejudice towards people. He, his salvation is open to anyone who would come to him in faith. And we're going to worship him for that. And then the last aspect of our worship is found in verse 10 of chapter 5, and we're going to worship him for, being, for him giving us a gift of royalty. That as his children, when we're there, he makes us kings and priests, and we're going to help him rule on the earth, serving the Lord Jesus Christ forever and ever as kings and priests. And we're going to praise him for that. And there's so much more that I could go into. I mean, we just spent a year in Revelation last year on Wednesday nights. <coughs> there's so much more. But I want you to know heaven is a perfect place. It's a place of perfect rest, perfect beauty, perfect purity and holiness, perfect satisfaction, and perfect worship, and it's perfect because who created it, and that's Jesus. But there's a second aspect this morning I want you to see, and not only is, is it a prepare, uh, not only is it a perfect place, but it is a prepared place. It's very specific. It's a prepared place. He has built for us a perfect place to reside in for all eternity, according to John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. But I want you to know this. It's not just for anyone. It is only for a prepared person. You can say it like this. Heaven is a prepared place for a prepared person. That's the way to say that. How do I know that? 
Well, Jesus very clearly said in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That right there tells us that there's only one entry point, and that's through Jesus, right? There is, there is you know, we can sit here and talk about heaven and then tell everybody in the world they're going to go there, but that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, only through me will you go there. Not all roads will end up in this place of perfection that I just talked about. That's what our world wants you to believe. And the world has done a pretty good job of, of telling the world that that's what they should believe, and they do. I can't count how many times I've heard people say, it doesn't really matter what you believe, just be sincere. We're all going to end up in the same place. That just makes no sense. Like, all religions can be wrong, but they can't all be right, particularly if they're preaching two completely different truths. Jesus says, you've got to come through me. Islam says you got to go through Allah and do, actually through Muhammad to get to Allah and then you have to keep the five pillars of Islam. Now they may both be wrong but they can't both be right because they teach two completely different theologies. B Buddhism just you you meditate your way to a place called nirvana. You don't even need the mention of Jesus. Just meditate enough and you'll eventually meditate your way into nirvana, which is their idea of heaven. Now, that may be wrong, and Jesus may be wrong, but they both can't be right. You see what I'm saying? So this idea of all roads lead to heaven, just be sincere, makes no sense. I mean, I live right out here on Creek Street. I said that right. Six years ago, I said it wrong. I live right out here on, oh, wait, that's Creek Street. I live right out here on Seminole Street. Man, six years, you'd think I'd figure that out by now. I live right there on Seminole Street. I can get on Creek Street and drive it for all eternity and never get to my house. Because Creek will never take me to Seminole Street. Now, how, how much, now I, may, I, I may be on Creek Street and, be, and make a turn on 7th and get where I'm going. That's the way the world is. They're all on the wrong street and they need to make a turn to get to the right one. Because there's only one. So it is a prepared place for a prepared person. Jesus in John 14, he's talking to his disciples, he's talking to his followers when he says, you know, believe in God, believe also in me, I go to prepare a place for you. He's talking to his disciples, he's not just talking to anyone. So the the per it's a perfect place, but it's only for those who are prepared to receive it. Now, how is one prepared to receive it? They're prepared to receive it through Jesus, and I love the way Revelation 21, 27 says it. Listen to what it says. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful. But listen, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Who's the Lamb? Jesus. Jesus' book of life. And if your name is not in the Lamb's book of life, you will not get to experience heaven. Because it is a prepared place for a prepared person. And then thirdly, because it's a prepared place for a prepared person, it's lastly a protected place. It's a protected place. I want you to know, in very, in Revelation 21 is very specific that heaven has walls and it has gates. And they're not intended to keep people in. They're intended to keep people out that don't belong there. 
I mean, just how big are his protections? Well, we already described the, the wall around the city, 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles. That's a big wall. But it's 200 feet high. That's a big wall. And it's intended to keep people out that aren't prepared to be there. As a matter of fact, it's not just the walls, and it's not just how long they are and how high they are. The Bible says that there's, there's three gates in each wall. Now, I hadn't done the math, and if you're a math person, maybe Anna could do this real quick. I don't know how many miles there are between each gate, but there's three on each side, and it's 1,400 miles long. So however many miles apart they're going to be, that's how far apart they are. But notice this. <coughs> At every single gate is an angel. And the angel is there to ensure what happens in verse 27 happens. Go back and look at the very beginning of verse 27. Nothing impure will ever enter it. No impurities will ever be allowed into this place. Nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful. So the, the idea is it's a protected place from all the evil influence that, that Satan might want to throw at us. And it's also protected from anyone who's not been washed clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. They cannot get in. Because that would corrupt it. And heaven is a perfect place because it's incorruptible. And it's incorruptible because it's being protected by God himself with the barriers that he built and he put in place to show us that you're worth his protection the question becomes are you prepared for heaven most would agree that heaven is a wonderful place and most would sit here and listen to this sermon and go back to all the perfect aspects of it and go man that's a great place I look forward to being there you can look forward to being there all you want, but if you're not prepared to be there, you won't. So the question is, are you prepared for it? Well, how do I get prepared? Well, Jesus said you got to come through me. That's how you get prepared. You have to come to a point in your life where you understand that Jesus is the only way. And you accept him as the only way into your life. And how do you do that? You have to come to a point where you repent of your sin. That means to to turn away from your sinful life, the old way of living, and in, in, at the same time, you turn in, in, in repentance and place your faith in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. That's what Jesus requires, repentance of sin and faith in what he did on the cross. And by that, and that alone, can one enter into heaven. So are you prepared to enter it? See, there are a lot of people that we know aren't prepared to enter, or, or sorry, let me rephrase that. We know a lot of people that aren't prepared in, to enter into eternity because they're going to a place called hell. But the same is true. If they're not prepared for heaven, they're still going to enter into eternity separated from God. See, understanding that there's a hell is one reason to be about our mission, but understanding the reality of heaven and how great it is is another reason we should be about our mission because people are going to miss it unless they come through Jesus and through him alone. Well, what's our mission? To tell the world. 
to tell the world about Jesus. To tell the world what Jesus did for you and for, for them. And what they need to do to accept Jesus in their life, repent and place their faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. That's what we need to do. So the question is, are you prepared? And then the bigger question is, what about the people you know? Are they prepared? Because if they're not, then all of the beauty, all the perfection, all the protection, all of the things that we mentioned this morning are out of their reach unless they get prepared. And they can only be prepared when they come to Christ.